Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Living Lightly podcast, a podcast where we will explore topics related to how we can live more lightly on the planet. Hello, Seeds community. We welcome you to the first episode of the Living Lightly podcast. We were originally going to do this live and in person with a panel discussion where I was going to play Oprah and we had some guests coming to talk about uh, their experiences of living lightly and in light of COVID-19, we're going to do this podcast style. So we've invited Jack Hepner here today uh, to talk with us about living lightly and his experiences um, on that theme. And uh, yeah, we welcome you and hope that you enjoy. That was very well done. You're a natural. Did you ever like do like a, were you an intern at Golden West Broadcasting? Never, uh, in, never. But this is like, maybe my, my second career in so the making here. It might be good to say that you're a, like a former sunflower um, no, queen no, and, no. Uh, you know. No, we're not <laughs> bringing that up. Get our bona fides out. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have better qualifications than that one. And I guess I didn't introduce myself. I'm Connie Hepner-Mueller, and we also have... And I'm Ted Enstick, also here from Seeds Church. We will be hosting this time together. So let's begin. Jack, uh, I'd like to ask you this question. Um, how did you begin this journey of what we're going to call living lightly? Uh, and we're, we're going to dig more into what that means as well. But right. how did that begin for you in your life? Well, uh, like I was saying before, <clears throat> um, my wife and I, Ruth, my wife Ruth and I, we both grew up on small mixed farms in the 50s, 1950s. You guys weren't even born. Not yet. And we lived fairly simple lives because we weren't affluent. Both of our parents were fairly, fairly poor. And so... Uh, we did all, a lot of the things that we're talking about nowadays, but it wasn't really because of ecological concerns. It was survival, hmm. sustainability. How could, we, how could we make ends meet at the end of the year? Mm -hmm. For example, we would never think of buying potatoes in a store. Like, you grow your own potatoes. Right. You grow all your own vegetables. You have chickens and pigs and slaughter them and so on. So I think it's in our DNA. It's kind of... It's kind of come with us how mm -hmm. to live simply. I think in later life, I think after we got married, we were both teachers living in town and stuff. And so we started uh, living a little bit more of the urban lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Although the idea of gardening always stayed with us. Wherever we could, where we were living, if we could make a little garden, we would. But of course, we would use pesticides. Uh, my dad was a sprayer. Like he... He did custom spraying in the 50s, and I was I helped him a lot, many a day, all day on the field with mm. a sprayer. I just got soaked with pesticides when I was a kid. Wow. And I don't know what that did to my health. I think some of my health issues in life have come from that, perhaps. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, that's my story. Um, and so I got busy in life. I, I was a teacher, ended up teaching at a college. And very busy in church work, conference work. So I was always doing all these spiritual things and preaching and teaching and stuff. I, I didn't have time to think about ecology. But uh, we had a little thing going at our house. Uh, Ruth was into growing vegetables because uh, that was the thing you do. To raise four boys, you have to have vegetables. So, 
And I kind of got into raising flowers. I was into perennial flowers. And so we had this little tug of war going every spring. (laughs) Ruth was growing vegetables in the middle of the garden and around the edges I was doing my perennial flowers. At one point I had 99 varieties of perennial flowers. And if I got out early, I would push in toward the center and she would have less room. And then (laughs) next spring she'd get first and then get there first and then I would have less room. But anyway, uh, suffice it to say that, you know, by now she has won the war (laughs) a long time ago. And it came through a series of events, which maybe we can talk about. So the question of when did I waken up to the ecological concerns and uh, trying to live more ecologically. And I don't want to suggest that this is everybody's story or should be everybody's story. I hope it isn't everybody's story. But sometimes it takes something um, important happening in your life to just kind of jolt you and waken you up. For me, it was a burnout. I, I just overdid my work in in the church and in the conference work and stuff. So I had a burnout in 2003. And so I lost my job, and so there I was, just sitting a bump on a log, nothing to do, and somewhat depressed, quite depressed, actually. So um, <clears throat> what I did, I, I purchased a small hobby farm, a six-acre hobby farm, just out of town, like about eight miles out of town. And it wasn't developed at all, but so I started going out to the hobby farm and just, you know, developing trails and stuff like that, beginning to do a bit of building and stuff. And I discovered, interestingly, when I went to the nature, this is like out of town, it was quiet. I remember one time I was working on the driveway to get the driveway done, and I was tired. Of course, I could work at my own pace. So I just lay down in the grass. I remember lying in the grass and looking up and watching the trembling aspen. The leaves are just shaking and here just rustling in the blue sky. And it had been a long time since I had seen something like that. Mm. You know, my life had, was busy in the urban setting. And I said to myself, is this the, is this the sound God wants us to hear? Mm. <laughs> Instead of the motorcycles and, you know, like all the cars and stuff. Mm. And uh, just that sense of peace. I remember driving out to the farm uh, in those early days when I was still struggling with depression. It was interesting when I turned off the highway, we were two miles off the highway. When I got after the, into the second mile, it was like a cloud lifted. Hmm. It just actually could feel it. It just went right over my head and I came out from under the cloud. Wow. As I entered my my holy space, my quiet, natural space. Hmm. So I began to really feel close to nature mm-hmm. and close to God in that nature, even though it was quite rough. It was nothing nothing there, really. But, um, yeah, so it forced, forced me to, uh, my burnout, um, forced me to slow down and um, just live a different life. Um, so... Uh, at the same time, I, I started reading then. I, I've always been a reader, but I was always reading theology mostly, some high fruit theology, getting ready for my lectures, right? Hmm. And now, I was starting to read more uh, nature books. 
Mm. We were talking before. You know, Wendell Berry, mm-hmm. Paul Roberts, um, The End of Food, and all, all these books. I have a whole shelf of books, uh, probably a couple of feet long, that I still have referred to once in a while. Uh, and I started thinking, my goodness, we are in trouble, aren't we? Mm-hmm. We are in trouble in the world, ecologically. Mm-hmm. And maybe I can do something about it. Maybe I can be part of the solution instead of part of the answer. Uh, part of the answer instead of part of the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I started thinking more seriously then about how mm-hmm. to how to change my life patterns so that would line up more with ecological concerns. Mm-hmm. And that's how things got started. Um, Let's break in and maybe ask some questions. Yeah, that sure. was that was really good. We're gonna have to get really practiced at this kind of handing off. You sure. know, I, sure, when I was doing the video with uh, Darlene yesterday, it was kind of like this would be way easier if we just did a solo video. You know, you mm-hmm. wouldn't have to. Go back and you know, forth. not like Bob and Doug McKenzie or like <laughs> uh, Regis and Kathy Lee or whatever the uh, you know the famous famous duos are. But I was I was wondering about like the reason why we we started. Um, this this worship series for Lent mm-hmm. around living lightly is we um, I think many of us we're doing the planning we're we're kind of feeling like a lot of the Lenten sort of experience that we've had over the years as we would celebrate that in church is that Lent sort of had a bit of a heaviness to it yeah. a bit of a you know bowing our heads and and feeling bad about the things that that we have done or haven't done, and then this was an opportunity to sort of like let go of something that was weighing us down. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that maybe we were feeling like, well, is there maybe an opportunity this year to think about how um, we really wanted to talk about our relationship with creation, relationship with the planet that we live on, how we foster a relationship as a community to the planet. And, and we got, I don't know where we got this idea about what is it like to live lightly this Lent? And um, so I'm wondering a little bit about what does it mean to you to live lightly? What's the, what, what is that describing? Like, uh, are we all living heavy lives? Or uh, what sort of, what, yeah. how would you kind of okay. interact I, with that? I think, I think I would talk about it in terms of uh, not being identified as a consumer Primarily, hmm. I, I think that re- I, I was reading around that, and that that just really woke me up when I began to realize that society as a whole saw me as a consumer. You know, all the advertisements that you see on television, or papers, and billboards, and radio, everything—they're all trying to sell you something, and most of the time, it's something you don't need. And so, I, I can't remember exactly how it happened, but I remember. At one point, when I had started writing in the local paper around these issues, I wrote an article called More Than a Consumer. Hmm. And it's been republished a number of times. And um, maybe I should read a paragraph sure. or so sure. out, of, out of that to just kind of give you my uh, sense. I think that, that was kind of a turning point for me. Mm. I'm more than a consumer, right? Mm. So um, first I'll read Madeline Lengel. Uh, this isn't me, so... <laughs> Today, we live in a society that seems to be less and less concerned with reality. We drink instant coffee and reconstituted orange juice. We buy our vegetables on cardboard trays covered with plastic. 
But perhaps the most dehumanizing thing of all is that we have allowed the media to call us consumers ugly. No, anger consumes, forest fires consume, cancer consumes. That's Madeleine Lengel. Hmm. So I kind of took off from there and did some of my own reflecting. I won't read the whole, the whole article, but um, if one is at all alert, it doesn't take much to figure out that advertisers are generally trying to create a need so that you will want to consume their products. To buy more things, you often don't need. Glossy catalogs picture all the neat things you never knew you needed, but now you do. Billboards and newspapers tell you that you deserve to consume just a little more than the year before. And I won't even mention television advertisements. And I'll leave something out here. In the last paragraph, I write, this is kind of my passion, Hmm. (laughs) where I get a little bit riled up. Hmm. I am more than a consumer who needs to keep goods and services coming my way. I am a human being created in God's image with heart and soul. I'm a husband, a father, a grandfather, a friend. I'm a lover of nature, a word crafter. I'm an encourager, a motivator, an example, a confidant. I am an earth keeper and a brother keeper. I'm a servant of God, indeed a friend of God. I'm a listener, a healer, a helper, a volunteer. I also am a consumer. But when I begin to believe the lie that my primary identity is that of a consumer, I have been dragged across the line. Hmm. And the process of unsustainability has been set in motion. Hmm. That's kind of says, I think, that was kind of a turning point for me. Yeah, I'm not just a consumer. Mm-hmm. I'm more, way more than a consumer. Hmm. And I need to consume only as much as I need to fulfill those other roles. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Not to fulfill some other ideal of the high life or, you know, you need more, a bigger car, a bigger house or more stuff to be happy. Like a lot of people seem to think. They're going to hmm. be happier with more stuff. And so, yeah, that was kind of a turning hmm. point for me. Hmm. And that's how I view... I forget what your question exactly was, but but yeah, what motivates me is to consume to be a consume enough to live a decent life, but to live responsibly, hmm. not just through the lens of a consumer. Hmm. I'd like to I'd like to pick up a little bit um, on what you've said earlier and connect it to what you just said because I think this is so important that this identity of not just a consumer, but it seemed like you, you had a bit of an awakening first, like some healing happened on that acreage, yes. it seemed. Mm-hmm. And then you did some reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you feel like it was really important that it happened in that order? I don't know. I, I think for different people, it might happen in different order. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there was, first of all, some personal healing that needed to happen. I needed to, I needed to for me, I needed to find some distance between that busy life, which mm-hmm. didn't where I wasn't attentive, like Richard Rohr would say, are you attentive? Right. So I began being more attentive to the world around me. Yeah. And having burned out and without a job and having a country property, I, there's, another, there's another dimension there. <clears throat> As I was reading more and thinking more and starting to talk to people, I also was writing. I was writing letters to the editor, you know, kind <laughs> of in the local paper, just some of these ideas were percolating. And, and some local people picked up on it who were on my wavelength, who were also there. 
a guy like Eric Rempel, I think you know him, and Gabriel Gagné, mm -hmm. who's a French Catholic person from La Brokerie. Mm -hmm. And so we just got together, the three of us, and we said, we got to do something. We got to do something. So <clears throat> I'm stressing the the need for support so you're not just in it alone. Mm -hmm. So we formed a little community. And I, I just remember the day we met for organizing when we started organizing this little Southeast Man Transition Initiative, which is like ACAN, but it was in Steinbeck. And the first first meeting we had, Eric was there, I was there, Gabriel was there. And all of a sudden, Gabriel was quiet. <sighs> And then he said, you know, guys, I've been praying a long time that God would send me somebody hmm. that we could do this together. Hmm. So, uh, yeah. So we formed a, a, a little club, you might say, and just started thinking together and started uh, doing events together promotions together, documentaries with discussions and uh, workshops and all kinds of stuff together. So I think as we were walking this road together, I think it just helped us to, uh, one thing led to another hmm. so that we'd meet sometimes and say, have you read this book? No, do you have, it? yeah, I have it, I'll lend it to you, you know, and so it's kind of like you feed on each other. Hmm. The next time you, you meet, you say, well, we should, we should talk about that book at our next meeting. You know, have somebody summarize it or something. Or get some video about it and talk about it. And so it, it just snowballed kind of mm. like that. Once I found, once I wasn't alone in it, now I had two other friends who were really passionate also. I found my own passion growing. Mm -hmm. Because we were always challenging each other. Mm. Gabriel was the guy who knew sauerkraut. <laughs> That's where I learned how to do sauerkraut. Ah. And he, he got me the right Gertopf to do it and, sh you know, showed me how to do it and all that kind of stuff. So I learned so much from him and from Eric, and then we got more people added gradually that uh, came on. And so I think that that is a dimension we, we all need, not to just be in our silos mm -hmm. trying to do our ecological thing just to make ourselves feel good, but to be encouraging each other, getting ideas mm -hmm. from each other. Mm -hmm. Learning from each other. Learning from each other. For sure. Yeah. Can so. you just give us a little sampling? I know there's far, the list would be much too long for this podcast. A little sampling of some of the things you did out in the Steinbeck area? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have, I have a whole couple of pages here I could talk about, <laughs> but I'll just talk about some. Well... For the, well, like I said before, Ruth won the battle in the garden. <laughs> so I started just growing a few flowers around the edges, and she got more space to do the vegetables. And we decided, once we were talking with all these people, and we don't use chemicals. Mm. Of course I don't use chemicals, says Gabrielle. <laughs> Why would you use chemicals? Huh, you know? And uh -huh. so I had a whole shelf full of chemicals. And so they just sat there, and we started using non-chemical mm things for a garden and we found they were you know you could grow all kinds of stuff without chemicals and he he was big into composting and so i started composting and i raked all the leaves in the park behind us and brought them all together and crushed them with my mower and i made tons of compost like wonderful stuff you know just and put it on the garden and so just working in the garden 
uh, growing stuff um, organically with compost. And uh, we even had, so actually Ruth got involved quite a bit too. Um, some of the things we did, we had gardening workshops. So in spring, uh, a number of times we had them in our backyard. We don't have a big garden, but Ruth grew a lot of stuff in there. And so Ruth kind of was our teacher. And we had about 50, 60 people kind of all standing around the edge of the garden. And Ruth was explaining how you grow cucumbers and and the compost piles were there, and we demonstrated. And you hmm. stick your hand in there; it gets it's hot, and and all kinds of stuff. And so, yeah, gardening became more than just growing vegetables. It became maybe demonstrating to ourselves and to the community that you can grow food without chemicals. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And we grew some wonderful crops of tomatoes, like and potatoes and all kinds of stuff. Mm. So, yeah. How about out in the community? Can you tell us maybe one or two highlights of things you did outside your household? Like I know you did some some pretty innovative things in the community. Uh, yeah, we did. <clears throat> How about we that did. little park, that little park that you did without? Yeah, okay, that was a couple of years ago when, when the uh, government came out uh, banning chemicals for uh, places in town, like for, mm. for parks and mm-hmm. so on. And there was a big outcry. How are we going to live with this? How are we going to live without spraying these dandelions? Like, you've <laughs> got to kill the dandelions. That's what our main job in life is, isn't it? Like, kill all the dandelions. <laughs> Control it. And everybody was up in arms. You know, this is crazy, this liberal movement of you know, getting rid of the dandelions. Yeah, we have to get rid of the dandelions. And so we had the idea. <clears throat> so we approached the mayor. He's a friend of mine. I knew him. And and we approached him and said, how about if you guys give us a piece of property? And there was a piece, of, <laughs> a triangular piece of property about, oh, it must have been almost half an acre or whatever. That was just kind of a corner, you know, where one day they want to they change the street to angle onto the street properly. but So it's not being sold. So right now it's just green space. There's a few trees on it and stuff. And they said, why didn't you give us this space? for three years, and then we want to do a demonstration. <laughs> so we want to have an experimental farm right in the middle of the city, and we want to demonstrate to the town that you can live without spraying dandelions. And so we called it Green Space Options. <laughs> and so we had a, made a big sign, four by six, and Green Space Options, and everybody noticed the sign, and they saw, saw us working there. They'd stop and say, what are you doing? You know, and, and there was a path that came right through it, and we kind of fixed up the path to make it nice. And so we experimented with different kind of grasses, which grasses would work best to hold back dandelions. We did compost spreading. We, did, we experimented with a number of different ground covers, what isn't grass, you know, the various, various kinds of creeping, jenny, and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So if you don't walk on the grass, why do you have to have grass there? Why not have creeping jenny, you know, and you can more easily take care of the dandelions. So hmm. it's just looking at the options. Hmm. That was a that was a fun thing because so many people just stopped by and said, what are you doing? Said, well, that's so great, you know. Hmm. And you so feel instead it was a of being pessimistic about, you mm-hmm. know, we can't live without chemicals, we had this place in the middle of the city where we were demonstrating on a daily basis that you can live without chemicals. Hmm. That was fun, actually. Hmm. And you feel like it was a success. Well, it was and it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is a total success. 
I mean, yeah, we wrestled with some of the dandelion because they hadn't really taken good care of it so that it was infested with dandelions. So, sure. mm-hmm. And so we always said it would take a while before you would get, get good control of it. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, we moved out, moved away. We moved mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. this town called Altona. <laughs> and nobody really picked it up after mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's finished now. But mm-hmm. at least it was a, a gesture. It mm-hmm. was a, an mm-hmm. experiment. Mm-hmm. It was fun. So I want to pick up on a couple of themes that are kind of striking me in this conversation. Um, maybe part of it, it fits in with, like, what does it mean to live lightly? Living lightly, f- to me, sounds like a really attractive approach to life. Mm-hmm. Um, heaviness isn't much fun. Living lightly feels like um, there's, this, there's a scripture, I think, that was maybe shaping some of our thinking from uh, the message translation in Matthew 11, where it talks about, um, the living the unforced rhythms of grace. Mm-hmm. Jesus invites us into that kind of life, uh, living lightly. And um, so I'm getting the sense, as you're talking about some of the changes you've experienced, that you've, like, it really sounds like you're living a pretty full, enjoyable, um, abundant kind of life that you're experiencing. And I'm wondering, we tend to hear, at least in our generation now, there's, there seems to be a bit more fear of the catastrophic happening around um, global ecological issues. And so um, a lot of the energy coming to um, how we treat creation, the earth, comes out of fears that yeah. we are living much, much past the capacity and sustainability of our time. And um, so I'm wondering how, like... Maybe, I mean, I don't necessarily want you to talk about how it was for you 20 years ago, but how do you sort of balance this both um, invited to something that feels like, this feels like a really fun kind of life you're trying to live, and on the other hand, dealing with some of the realities that we are struggling with, and um, maybe even when we're living in this COVID-19 kind of pandemic time when we're having to make some very, very serious adjustments in our life and maybe reminds us that we, maybe we need to make some more serious adjustments in our life to deal with some other major issues. So I, I, I appreciate sort of how you kind of engage that tension. Well, I think through, through the reading I did and then through that group of people around me and my own experience, I began to, I began to experience exactly what you're saying, that living more lightly, you know, with less chemicals and, and more aware of what's healthy for the environment, what's sustainable for the future. There's a positive vibe that comes with that. You know, it's kind of like we're advocating something for life, something hmm. for our children, something for our grandchildren. It's it's not just doing what I can to grow the best potatoes or whatever. It's, it's how can I grow them in a way that will be sustainable for the future? Hmm. And so everything you do, every every topic we would we would take, it was that there was a positive spin on it always. You know, hmm. all these leaves you compost, well, the compost becomes fertilizer and your vegetables grow. And isn't that great? Hmm. So there's a there's a lightness that comes with that. Hmm. You know, when you see the benefits of of stuff happening, like um just one example, I in, in building up my hobby farm. I called it Edgework Place because I felt kind of doing things on the edge. Hmm. So I, I did a lot of reusing old lumber. 
Hmm. I just got lumber by the by the truckload from places you wouldn't believe. They're just going to throw it away or didn't have any use for it. Hmm. I repurposed the lumber. And one particular thing I did was, you know, 10, 12 years ago, uh, a lot of people were taking their cedar siding off their houses and putting vinyl siding on. Because hmm. they didn't have to paint that, right? right. Mm-hmm. And all this cedar siding was heading for the dump. Right. And I said, just there's really good cedar in there, isn't there? Mm-hmm. So, and I had a planer, and so I, I would go around whenever I saw somebody ripping it off. I would go and go with my trailer and ask for it, and I would, I would get all the cedar siding. And I discovered that when you cut the bottom inch off where all the nail holes are, mm-hmm. then you cut a cut a board at four and a quarter inches, and then run it through the planer, and you get three eight, three eight, eight inch thick cedar. Mm. Hmm. And it's the most beautiful cedar. It's like new cedar. Hmm. I made boards 16 feet long. Oh, so I wow. built my cabin. A lot of it's it's all decorated in cedar. It's all coming from the cedar siding that was going to go to the dump. Fantastic. <laughs> and everybody that comes in and says, wow, where did you get that cedar? You know? <laughs> and so I, just, well, I just took it off of somebody's house. You know? <laughs> yeah. And there's a... Uh, kind of a joy in telling the story mm-hmm. and people saying, oh, wow, that's kind of interesting. Mm. Um, and if you'd gone to buy the lumber at the store, you'd still have the same cabin, but you wouldn't have this story that makes you smile so much. And I, yeah, and I have less <laughs> money, too. It's expensive. Well, of what? course, of course. Yeah, yeah, so... Never mind the cedars that didn't have to die. Yeah. yeah. Right? right. To, to make whatever you wanted to make. And yeah. another... Some people think it's gross, but I don't think it is. So when you're at the hobby farm, we don't have electricity there. Mm-hmm. We don't have running water. We don't have sewage. So uh, we had an outhouse. Well, that was a smelly th- thing, you know. And so it was Gabriel who told me about building compost toilets. Mm-hmm. You get the Humaneur Handbook by Joseph Jenkins. <laughs> and I got all the... You know, and I just just read the book, and I said, well, I can build that. Mm-hmm. And so I started building composting toilets. And people would come out to the cabin, you know, and I added a little room onto my cabin with a composting toilet in it. Well, won't that be smelly? No, it won't. So <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. as smelly as your bathroom at home. Like, it's, it's, it's clean. <laughs> right, yeah. And then later on, when I built a pavilion, a larger pavilion, where we had even weddings and stuff like that, well, we just had composting toilets. <laughs> and... Everybody says, well, that's really neat. I thought they'd be smelly, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just kind of fun. You know, it, mm. just Are there any examples? These sound like examples where living lightly or making these choices did, in fact, feel light on some level. Has, has, are there any examples of the other? Has this been a, a difficult journey as well on some levels? Why? You know, I, I hardly think about it that way as difficult because there's always, when you are trying to live uh, with nature instead of against nature, um, somehow nature has a way of rewarding you. Um, it, it just does. It, it just comes back and gives you a, a positive feeling that you are... Maybe you haven't got the answers for the whole world. But maybe your little action that you're taking maybe will make a difference, Hmm. a little difference. And maybe it'll be an example to somebody else. Maybe your kids or maybe somebody down the road watches you and says, well, I can do that too. Hmm. 
And some people followed my example. A lot of people didn't. But I had joy in doing it. And what I, what I discovered with my little hobby farm, Edgework Place, over the years, the 10 years that I had it, I just gradually built it up and built it up. And it became a beautiful place. It's mostly built out of used stuff. Uh, and stuff that people were throwing away. Uh, had a screened-in pavilion that seated about 80 people. It was a fieldstone fireplace that I built myself just from the rocks around the neighbor farmer's fields. I brought them in there. It took me three years to build. But it works wonderfully. And say, mm-hmm. oh, that's the only fieldstone fireplace in southeastern Manitoba that we know of. And it's beautiful. And everybody says, wow, how would you do that? Well, I just did it. You know, <laughs> so there's a, a lot of hard work. Yeah. How do you get these rocks up like 25 feet into the air? You know, you have to figure out a way, but you do. Uh. Hmm. And when it's all done and you pull all the scaffolding away and, and you got the picture. Hmm. And, yeah, it's wonderful. Hmm. It's, um, I, I, I don't think of it as being a hard life. It's, it's more of a like we say at church here, living with purpose. Hmm. When, you, when you go about something, you think about it ecologically, there's a kind of, there's a purpose. In so it's a level of purpose, purposefulness hmm. as you move with this thing. How can I do it ecologically, in an ecologically friendly way? And when you can, it feels good. Hmm. And it's kind of like, hmm, thank you, God. It's, it's kind of like a, like a walk with God, too. It's, it's like, hmm. almost like revelation. You know, <laughs> I'm type 3 Enneagram, of course. I'm a project guy. Hmm. And so Ruth knows, I, as I fall asleep, I'm dreaming about the project. <laughs> and then I start talking to her, and she's asleep already. <laughs> about, you know, hey, I can do it this way, and it'll work. Next morning, I go, and I do it, and it works. And there's a joy. For me, as a number three, mm-hmm. I get a lot of fulfillment out of dreaming up a project of some kind and doing it, fulfilling it. Yeah. And if you can do it in an ecologically friendly way, so much the better. Hmm. For example, now, um, so one of the things we did, um, we noticed in a place like Steinbeck, there's a lot of businesses with a lot of pallets. So we started collecting pallets. And we started building pallet furniture. So we did some pallet furniture workshops. In my workshop, we had about eight people in there, and we built some tables and some Adirondack chairs and stuff like that. Hmm. And uh, you can build beautiful stuff out of uh, pallet furniture. Pallet. Mm. I have a, a huge pallet sitting at my place right now. And one of the things I'm planning to do next week probably is to build a couple of Adirondack chairs out of this, this big pallet. Hmm. We need it for our deck in the back. Hmm. So I'll have something to do, and it won't cost me anything except a bit of work. Hmm. And it doesn't cost the environment no, anything and, either. And that pallet would have gone to the dump. Right. Hmm. It would have just yeah. sat there yeah. and rotted. Hmm. Yeah. And now I'll make something. And yeah. So what, if any, advice would you have for others wishing to make the next step on their living lightly journey or their journey with living, like you said, more in harmony with the natural world? I'm not sure if I have anything particular, but maybe it is 
I, I like what Roar keeps talking about, being attentive. Being attentive to the world around you, being attentive to possibilities, seeing seeing the world through different eyes. Put mm. on different glasses. Mm. If you put on glasses that you say, okay, I want to look at the world through a natural lens. The lens that you know, God created the world, how do I see it that way? Mm. Um, I believe that these things come to you. They just, mm. they just, they just emerge. That's how it's happened for me. And, mm. and basically, in all of this stuff, it's not that I set out, you know, the day after I had my burnout. Okay, I'm going on this trip, and mm. I'm going to really make a change in my life, and all these things are going to happen. It one thing that happened, and so I worked on that, and then all of a sudden, I happened to meet Gabrielle, or we had a some kind of a meeting somewhere. Mm -hmm. I read something. I could do that. Mm -hmm. Well, when I'm done this, I'll try that. Mm. And it's just like one thing leads to another. It's sometimes it's a small thing leading to a bigger thing, and then you do a bigger thing, and then you do a small thing. Um, so then, a small thing I did. <laughs> yeah, small. So we needed to buy a car. So I said, "Okay, let's get the smallest car we can think of." <laughs> so we bought a Fiat. <laughs> Might have been a little smaller one somewhere. <laughs> And we love it. We I do 50 it. miles to a gallon. <laughs> and people say, well, how do you drive with that thing? Well, it's wonderful. It's beautifully, it's a comfortable car, and we, we drive it. And it's, um, yeah, it's just, it's just fun doing that. I had something else, but yeah, oh, yeah. And then I came, it just dawned on me one day. You know, I had a friend who was a trucker, a really good friend, and he said, you know, when, when the price of fuel was high, he says, if I want to make any money on my trucks, I have to drive 90, 90 miles an hour. If I drive 100, I break even. If I drive 90, I make a little bit of money. <laughs> oh, you use less fuel, right? <laughs> right? So I just, I thought it was kind of cute. I, I said, I came up with a 90-90 principle. 90-90 <laughs> principle. So it kind of sounds scientific. But basically all it is, 90% of the time, I drive 90 and when I'm in a hurry or the traffic <laughs> is pushing from behind, I'll go 100 or 110 if I have to. Mm -hmm. But then when that's over, I go back down to 90. Mm -hmm. And we're retired, so I arrive in Winnipeg 10 minutes later. So what? No big deal. And I've driven 90, use less gas. Mm -hmm. So it's, And we've done that now for like six, seven years. Mm -hmm. And we've gotten everywhere we need to go. <laughs> <laughs> And sometimes people get impatient behind. Well, if they get impatient, I speed up a bit for a while and then just go back again. You just press it on 90, yeah. you know, your cruise control, and you just you just drive before you know it, you're at Winkler. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, small, it's a small thing, mm -hmm. but in the long run, I don't know how many gallons I've saved, how much money I've saved, but annoyed some people on the road, too. <laughs> Yeah, I once I once did a little bit of math on the whole how fast you drive, and it's it's shocking how little time you save by driving yeah. much faster. Yeah. Like it's just almost comical how few minutes you save. It's like really, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I've just saved. And once you're aware of that, then you can you can live by those kinds of rules, like the ninety by ninety rule, mm -hmm. a bit more easily if yeah. you realize, hey, I don't lose you know, much. And, and I, I 
try not to impose that on other people. You know, you should mm -hmm. be doing this. No, this is just what I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is what I do. I'm 73. I can choose to drive 90 if I want. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yet I bet we all could, though. You know. <laughs> At any age. So then I meet a guy who says, well, I just drive 80. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, but I drive 90. And, yeah. Hmm. Two, two projects I should mention I, that really excited me a lot. Um, first of all, building a solar dryer. Right. Um, I've seen it. I got a, a pattern from somebody who had built one and stuff. And so I, I built this solar dryer. I had so much fun with that. We used to take it to Main Street when we had our, our festival in Steinbeck, somewhere in the city. We'd have our booth there and we'd have this. This solar dryer, you know, with the mirrors and all kind of stuff. It looks like you're trying to communicate with extraterrestrial <laughs> yeah, beings. Yeah, exactly. And so, and he might be. These teenagers would come by and they'd say, well, what, what's that? You know, all these mirrors, like, focusing the sun's rays and stuff. Well, I say, you know, I'm actually communicating with people in Mars, you know, and, and stuff. And I have all my electrical gadgets in the back you want to come and see. So I opened the door and there were all these trays of vegetables. <laughs> you know, like, that are being dried. And so that was so much fun. And we, we actually, that's a, that's a um, contraption we still use today. So uh, anything that needs drying on a sunny day, you just stick it in there, you know, within 24 hours or a bit more, sometimes two days. It's dried. It's mm -hmm. beautiful. And the other thing, I went to a workshop and, and I built a solar oven. And this is one of those projects that has kind of lapsed for a number of years when I was doing more of the cooking in our house, when Ruth was still working. When, you know, I, I wasn't working, but Ruth was still working part-time. So I was cooking three, three times a week. And so on a sunny day, I used my solar oven. You know, I could cook a... I could cook a, a roast in the oven, just put it in at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. It's like a slow cooker. Just turn it every hour or so and make sure you follow the sun. And by the time 5.30 came around, you just pull it all out and it's hot. It's done. Wow. And so we took, we took that thing to Main Street too. And so we were baking cookies in this solar oven on Main Street. And people said, what have you got in there? <laughs> well, we're baking cookies. They're like these over here. We're selling them to you for a loony. Oh, yeah, give me one. <laughs> like, wow, you can bake cookies in the sun. Yeah, so, so we always used to say, look, you, you can grow your food by the power of the sun. You can preserve your food by the power of the sun. And you can cook your food by the power of the sun. You don't need anything else. Hmm. Hmm. And that's mm -hmm. kind of like, isn't that wonderful? Hmm. Like, but we don't use the oven much now. I have to persuade Ruth to use it more often, but maybe I, I could just do it, eh? Of course you could. So I <laughs> yes, offer I'm doing yes. supper tonight, and it's going to be solar. Why not? Solar, solar dinner. Solar dinner, yeah. You know, Jack, you, you were um, concerned about not wanting to come across as judgmental or having all the answers or you know, shaking your finger at folks and, and saying, you should, you should. You, you were very conscious of not wanting to come across that way. Yeah. And I feel like all the examples you've given of work you've done in the past, work you've done, work you're doing now at the Alternative Community Garden, you haven't even mentioned that work, um, so I'll mention it for you. Like, hmm. and, and even these interesting projects that you've done in your own life, it just feels to me like, like you don't have to worry about coming across that way at all. Well, you're, I, hope, I hope I don't. Not at all. And you're so... Um, your passion for these things and your your invitational nature, I think, just 
speaks for itself. You, you, you're so excited about all of this that it can't help but spill over. And mm-hmm. you talk about the community garden. I got to get one minute in for that. <laughs> Do it. Like, <laughs> Endorsement time. Like, well, one of the reasons I'm there is because it's an organic garden. If it would have been, you know, a chemical garden, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even have volunteered. Mm. But when I realized, oh, this is an organic garden. I think you're the one that decreed it so. I think maybe it was already before. <laughs> maybe. Okay. But um, I find for myself, like, I devote quite a bit of my time to the community garden. But it's just so much fun. And we're getting so many people on board, like, working with Jason and Joel. And, you know, now now we're working with lots of other people. You know, we're, we want to reconstitute the commons. We want to put up pavilion. Mm-hmm. Actually... We're not calling it a picnic shelter anymore. It's a it's a pavilion. Mm-hmm. It's a center. It's going to be in the middle of the garden. It's going to be a place where we do workshops and have some food together and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And we're going to put washrooms in there. And so we're bringing. We had to cancel it last week, but yeah, we had sadly. James Friesen from Timber Frame Guy, designer and builder. He's all excited. He says, "I'll I'll design and build you something that you can afford." And Aaron Sawatsky, landscape architect she was going to be there we had to cancel it because of this virus thing but we'll, we'll get, get it we'll get back to we'll it. get there and it's going to be and james says when we met with him he says oh but you need to have kind of a park-like entrance it's got to be beautiful place hmm. and so we're, we're just dreaming together and everybody we talk to says yeah why not mm-hmm. i think positive energy begets positive mm-hmm. energy and and you just exude that so mm-hmm. much well it's um and it's, it's fun. Mm-hmm. Like right now, we, we started registration at the garden March 1st. It's done. We're yeah. full. Yeah. See? Now already it's still freezing outside. But yeah. And the, the, town, the town is fixing the drainage problem. And they just told me this week, Clint told me this week, he says, well, we had to raise $2,000. They told us to get the drainage fixed. And they said, well, actually, we got a better deal so you can keep the 2000 Use it for something else. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. How about yeah. a nicer driveway? You know, like, oh, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The gifts just keep coming. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Life is good. Hmm. We enjoy it. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Jack, for having this conversation. It feels like um, this health pandemic that we are all engaged with and dealing with, in many ways, it's um, providing some space to try some new things and this even deciding to do a podcast is I think coming out of that sort of that need to, we need to keep having these conversations. And even though we can't gather people together to have the living lightly conversations as a church, um, these conversations need to happen. And maybe, maybe there's some space for people at this time to think about, you know, I, I am more than a consumer because right now I can't really consume as much because I can't get out there. And uh, wonderful, I read somebody the other day said the skies are blue over Wuhan, in yeah. China, and the birds mm-hmm. have reclaimed their domain. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. isn't that wonderful? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. You know, we're letting the planet breathe yeah. along yeah. with you know, letting yeah. ourselves breathe for a minute, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so some, somebody else said, you know, um, what we, it was Francis Schaefer. Uh, I'm Frankie Schaefer. He said, he says, what we've been trying to do for 30 years, the coronavirus did in a couple of months. <laughs> you know, cut down all the travel, cut yeah. down all the pollution, mm. and yeah. all of a sudden the skies are blue and yeah. things are blooming. <laughs> so it's kind of neat.
Yeah, we'll see yeah. what kind of opportunities it opens up. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for being interested mm. in my life and in what we're doing. It's a good life. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. <laughs>